What might it take for you to finally just surrender and say, God, I'd be willing to do something that would push me beyond whatever I dreamed possible for my own life to say yes to you? Which is really what we've been exploring over the past three weeks. I mean, over the past three weeks, we have been unpacking the book of Jonah as we talked about this series, which we simply titled Out of Control. It's a picture of Jonah's life. And it's a call for you and I to surrender our hearts to God. And, and really, it's, it was born out of a great tension and struggle that I have in my own life, which is I want to control my life. I want to be the one that dictates where I go, what I do, and how I do it. And the reason it's a struggle is because following Christ means that we lay down our lives. And so we battle, or if you're like me, we battle the Lord for control. But the funny thing is that there is no such thing as control, right? I mean, control is simply an illusion. We don't have control over anything. I mean, anything that really matters. Yet we battle and fight God because control presents the illusion of safety and comfort. If I can just feel like I'm retaining control of my life, then I can have the illusion that I'm safe or that I'm comfortable, that I can say I'm following Christ but not actually have to risk anything. And I've been saying that there's this word that we've got to deal with as followers of Christ, and that word is surrender. The idea of laying down our lives completely and totally and saying, God, what you want is what I want. I relinquish control of my life. But in order to follow Christ, we have to come face to face with this word surrender and be willing to lay down our hearts, which is really what we've been exploring over the past three weeks. What would it take for you and I to step out of our comfort, to relinquish control of our lives in totality and say, God, my heart is yours. I lay my life down. I want to be out of control. And we've been doing it by exploring literally verse by verse the book of Jonah. And this is kind of where we are so far in the book of Jonah. We know that Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. His, his sort of ministry took place after the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms and he was serving under a king named Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel. And while Jonah is serving and prophesying to that kingdom, he gets a word from the Lord that calls him to go and preach against the great city of Nineveh because the wickedness of that city had come up before the Lord. Now we know that Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrian Empire was a powerful, dominant entity at the time. It was the dominant powerhouse from a political standpoint and from a military standpoint, and it was pressing south towards Israel. We know the Assyrians will eventually overtake the northern kingdom of Israel and haul them off into exile. But the Assyrians were awful people. They were barbaric. In fact, as I'd mentioned, Nahum's entire prophecy was against the people of Assyria. His entire prophecy was about the wickedness of the people, that they were involved in all kinds of commercial exploitation and prostitution and witchcraft. And during times of war, they would murder women and children. I mean, they were awful people. And Jonah receives a word from the Lord, go and preach against the great city of Nineveh. So how does Jonah respond? Jonah runs. He literally takes off. It says that he fled to this little port city called Joppa, and he buys a ticket, and he sets sail for a town called Tarshish, which is on the coast of Spain. It literally is on the opposite end of the known world from the Assyrian Empire. It is as far as one could possibly go. Jonah boards a boat. He crawls underneath. and Below deck, he falls asleep. And we learn that God sent a great storm, that literally God 
hurled a tempest, is what the Hebrew tells us. God hurled a tempest, and the boat began to break apart, and everyone freaks out. The sailors are going crazy. The captain's going crazy. They don't really know what to do. They're throwing everything overboard. Finally, at the very end of the rope, they wake Jonah, and they say, you've got to help us. We are all going to die. How can you be asleep? What is going on? And they, they kind of cast some lots, and they figure out that this is Jonah's problem. Jonah told him, look, I am running from the Lord. The reason this storm is upon you is because I am on a full sprint from God. And so the sailors and the captain, they look at Jonah, and they go, what do we do? I mean, tell us what to do to you to make this storm calm down. And Jonah looks at him, and the most surprising kind of piece of this whole text, even bigger than the kind of great fish thing, which we're going to get in today, Jonah says, throw me overboard. In other words, kill me, drown me. This is my fault. I'm running from God. There's no turning back. Throw me overboard. Well, the sailors, they don't want to do this. They, in fact, they don't even go that route. They try their best to row back to shore, but the seas grow rougher and rougher, and eventually they cry out to Jehovah. They cry out to Jonah's God, and they say, God, do not hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. And so they take Jonah and literally they throw him into the sea. And the text tells us that as soon as Jonah hits the water, the sea goes totally calm. And the sailors begin to worship God. It says they greatly feared the Lord and they begin to make sacrifices to him and, and they made vows to God right there in that place on that boat. Their lives were cha- changed, transformed. And Jonah began to sink into the depths. And then at the very end of that chapter, which we looked at or last week, we saw this little gem. And the Lord provided a great fish, and it swallowed Jonah. And he was inside the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And that's where we pick up today. All that has transpired, and Jonah has been tossed into the raging sea. The sea has gone calm. They have seen a miracle of epic proportions. And somewhere in Jonah's middle of Jonah's drowning, God provides a great fish, swallows Jonah, And we start in chapter 2, Jonah stuck in the middle of a fish. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there this morning. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. We're actually going to look at the whole thing today, all of Jonah 2. took us a while to get through Jonah 1, but we're going to blaze through Jonah 2. Before we do that together, let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you desire a relationship with us that is beyond our explanation. God, that you love us and call us as a community to be a a people that follow you at all costs. That we'll be willing to surrender and lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we confess and, and we admit, Lord, that we brought all kinds of baggage in this room this morning. Preconceived ideas, frustration, some of us just don't even want to be here. Lord, some of us are dealing with family struggles or financial situations that just seem to be a burden on our heart. Some of us have got marital issues that we haven't even uttered out loud. God, some of us have fears and resentment issues that are piling against us. God, and some of us may not be feeling any of those things, but we're just sitting in the middle of mediocrity. We're just sitting in the middle of a life that is costing us nothing. So Lord, as we prepare to meet with you this morning, do a work in our heart. Do something powerful in our presence. Take just a moment right where you sit in your own heart as you pray. Ask God to reveal something to you this morning through his word.
pray for someone beside you or behind you, even if you've never seen them before, don't know their name, just pray for them. Just pray that God would do something in them. Let's be in the habit of praying for the people around us. Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us, that you would reveal it to us, and that you would teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I had called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, really, chapter 2 begin, should begin with the last verse in chapter 1. The last verse in chapter 1 is the one where God provides the great fish. I mean, it really begins there because that's where everything happens. Everything happens when they throw Jonah over, the seas grows calm, the sailors sacrifice to Jehovah God, and then all of a sudden, God provides a fish. God provides a fish. And we need to do kind of a little bit of business with this fish thing before we get into Jonah's prayer because it really is important. I mean, most of us know that this book was made famous because of this fish. And as I've, admit, as I've mentioned several times in the past few weeks, and I do want to make mention of again, the fish is important because there have been so many scholars that have, that have argued that the book of Jonah can't possibly be true because of this fish miracle. Because our rational minds can't grasp the idea that there is a fish in existence that is big enough to swallow a human being. Therefore, the book of Jonah can't be true and must be some kind of metaphor or allegory for a bigger picture or a bigger tale. It's an important part of history, but it's not true. And so we have to deal with the miracle of the fish on some level. And if I, as I've mentioned before, my real heartbeat here is don't get hung up in all this. I mean, the reality is, is that we believe much bigger things about God. I believe God created the heavens and the earth, that he made the stars and formed the trees, that literally God made and created the world as we know it. That through the Holy Spirit, God sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin Mary, that God raised his son from the dead. I mean, these are miracles of, of, of just enormous proportions. If God wanted to put a man inside the belly of a fish, I, I really don't have a lot of issue with that. I don't have to deal with my rational mind saying, that can't work. Because I've got bigger things that I believe God can do and did do and is doing. So we don't want to get too hung up there. But we need to understand something really important about this fish. And really the word fish is the Hebrew word dag, which means fish. It doesn't mean sea monster or giant whale. It just means fish. 
And, and, and the author applies the word great to it. So we know we're dealing with a great fish. And we know that God provided it. And we know that Jonah spent three days and three nights inside of it. Which is going to become incredibly important at the end of the book. Because there's some real amazing ties to Jesus Christ with this book, by the way. Which we'll get into. But, but Jonah spends three days and three nights inside there. And there's something really important that we have to understand about this fish. And that is this. God provided this fish. Now, who was it who sent the storm? God sent the storm. Who was it who hurled the wind? God hurled the wind. Who was it who brought the boat to a place of breaking apart? It was the Lord. Who was it that provided the fish? It was God. The same God that hurls the winds, the same God that brought the storm is the God that provided the fish. And you know what? In this story, the fish isn't a fish. I mean, well, technically and literally, it's a fish. But I mean, really, it's not. It's God's rescue. The fish is God's rescue. It is God's picture of God's grace and mercy. You see, the fish is God's plan for Jonah. It's God's picture. It's God's rescue. It's God's grace. That in the middle of Jonah's radical disobedience and running, God provides. And there's some interesting things we've got to understand about this sort of provision of God, okay? And that's this, that everything begins with God. The same God that called Jonah in the first place is the God that hurls the tempest, is the God that provides the fish. Everything begins with God. We've talked at length about God's sovereignty, that he is in control of everything. Everything begins and ends with God. This is not about Jonah, it's about God, period. The second thing we have to understand about this kind of fish provision is that God oftentimes shows up and provides in very unexpected and sometimes even unwanted ways in our lives. So think about this for a moment. If you think God, Jonah wanted to be rescued, the text doesn't even give us an inclination of that. In fact, Jonah was willing to be thrown overboard and die. Jonah wasn't pleading for God's rescue. He didn't even want God's rescue. He was willing to drown in his disobedience. But God showed up in a really unexpected way. And if, if Jonah wanted to be rescued, do you think he wouldn't want to be rescued by a fish? Why not another boat or a jet ski or some kind of giant bird that sweeps out and grabs him and throws him on land? I mean, he spent three days in the belly of this fish with seaweed wrapped around his head and the stench had to be unbearable. Yet this was God's unexpected and often unwanted provision. See, you and I love it when God provides for us, but we love it when God provides for us in the way in which we want God to provide for us. We want God to show up in a way that we want to see. And so we complain about our circumstances and we throw things around like that we don't like and we sometimes just need to realize that God is moving unexpected and in unwanted ways at times, but it's still God's move and maybe there's something bigger going on because the fish isn't a fish. The fish is God's rescue. God was doing something bigger. God shows up in unexpected and sometimes unwanted ways because we want things different. But God's rescue, the third thing I want you to just understand, God's rescue and God's provision is always a picture of his grace. Jonah was running. He was in radical disobedience and God rescued him. Jonah did nothing to deserve it. I deserve to drown in my sin. I deserve nothing. God's very picture of provision in my life at all is evidence of his grace. 
You and I deserve nothing. We've talked at length here about sin and how we deserve literally absolutely nothing. Yet God's presence at all in our life is a picture of his grace. You see, the fish, it's not a fish. It's a picture of God's initiative and his rescue and his grace. We get so hung up on the fish and what's going on inside of the fish that sometimes we miss what's going on inside of Jonah. And somehow this book of Jonah has become a story about a fish and not a story about a broken man. You see, the fish is a picture of God's move and God's rescue and God's grace. It's not a fish. But yet we find Jonah wrapped up in the middle of the belly of this beast, in the belly of this fish. And chapter 2, we see his prayer. Now, Jonah's only four chapters long. But our author devotes almost 25% of this book, with the exception of verse 10, to this prayer. Which means it's probably really profound and really pivotal and really important. And so that's what we want to pay real close attention to this morning, is what is Jonah crying out to in the middle of all this? Because I think that what's wrapped up in this prayer is where God desires my heart and where God desires your heart. A place of brokenness and surrender that says, God, I will, I will lay everything down for you. Now, you can't just look at this prayer in an isolated way. You've got to remember all that Jonah's walked through to get to the place that he is. Stuck inside the belly of this fish. Now, I want to read it again because I want you to hear these words as we begin to unpack them together. Because they're really important and they're really powerful. Jonah, stuck inside this fish, begins to pray. And he says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And what I have, made, what I have vowed, I will make good for salvation comes from the Lord. This is a remarkable piece of text. It's a remarkable piece of text because it is perhaps one of the most pure pictures of honesty in Scripture. I mean, here you are, Jonah, a prophet of God, called by God in full disobedience, in full run from God, willing to die, thrown overboard, drowning, finds himself in the middle of a fish, and here is what he says to the Lord. And I think that there are are four things that I want us to understand about this prayer that I really think should be reflected in the way that you and I live and the way that you and I pray and how we surrender and lay our lives down. And the first is wrapped up in Jonah's honesty. This prayer is riddled with honesty. Jonah doesn't pretend his life is something that it's not. He doesn't make a lot of excuses and said, God, I, I would have gone if it would have been this or it would have been that. He just basically says, I was drowning, I was dying, I was on my way. My life was ebbing away. My head was wrapped in the seaweed, I was barred in by the land. And God, all I could do was cry out to you. I mean, Jonah's prayer is powerfully honest. 
And the reason this is important is because if you're anything like me, your prayer life is not really that honest. I mean, mine certainly isn't as honest as I would like it to be. Because we want God to think that we're trying really hard or that we at least have some little ounces of faith that we could, we could offer up to him and that God could look at us and say, hey, you know what, Trev, at least you are giving it an effort. It's kind of like when you go on a first date with someone, you put on that sort of picture of what you want them to see. So that when all the sort of realities of who you are kind of come to the surface and they realize that, you know, you're this or that you burp sometimes or that you've got that weird mole on your arm or whatever, that they will remember the image that you put forward because that impression is really important. But we do the same thing with God in our prayer life. We want God to see this picture of ourselves that's not totally true. I mean, and we do this in a couple of ways. One, we do it in the things that we say. I mean, sometimes when we pray, or at least I do, I pray in a way that wants God to understand or at least know that I, I'm, I'm really giving it everything that I have. And so we use language and words that shape our thinking that way. We're like, God of, God of the sun and the April showers and, and God that makes the birds nest in the air, you know I've been trying really hard and, and I haven't been living the life you want me to, I know, but, but God, things at work are really hard. And, and you know, my, my wife, she, she doesn't listen to me very well or she doesn't support me or my husband, I mean, he just doesn't get me. And God, when things get a little bit easier, you know I'll be able to give more of myself to you. God, I'm doing doing the best that I can. I mean, we put a, a false front out there because we think that if we just use the right language or we just appear to be a little bit humble and say, God, if you just knew what I was going through, that somehow God would say, yeah, you know what, I, for, I, I forgive you for that because I know it's hard. I mean, it works hard. You got two projects due this week. I know. And so we don't become completely transparent with God. And sometimes we, our lack of honesty comes in the things that we don't say. And I find this especially important in my own life because there are a lot of things I don't tell God. Even though in my heart of hearts I know that God already knows, the, actu- the idea of actually vocalizing them, even whispering in the dark, is petrifying because it makes them very real. So the things that I do that I'm ashamed of, that I'm fearful of, the sin that riddles through my life, I don't like to audibleize it. I don't like to say it out loud. And so I just don't. I just say things like, God, you know I'm sinful. God, I really, I messed up. Because I know that if I actually say those things out loud, they are true. The irony of the whole thing is that God knows everything about my life. The book of John tells me that he knows every hair on my head and its exact number. That my prayer life is not about surprising God. It's not like God's going to be like, whoa, really? Goodness, Treb, pull yourself together. God knows I'm not surprising him. Our prayer life should be riddled with honesty. We should declare our honest heart before the Lord and say, God, as Jonah did, here it is, for better or for worse. This is just the truth. And I declare my fears and my resentment and my anger and that secret bitterness that I don't want to say out loud. God, I declare that I've been running and that I'm fearful and that I am absolutely petrified that you are calling me to this. Instead of pretending, I'm just going to say it. See, Jonah's prayer begins with an honesty that we've got to match. That's just got to say, God, from the core of who I am, this is what's true, and it's not pretty, and I know you already know it. I don't want to go to church. I said it. 
I don't want to pray. I'm frustrated. I'm mad that the people around me seem to get blessing after blessing after blessing, yet I show up every week for church and I can't make ends meet. And I'm frustrated. And I'm sorry. You know what else we see in Jonah's prayer besides his honesty is is this sort of powerful confession. So we see his prayer riddled with honesty. We see this, these moments of powerful confession. Confession is, is taking honesty one step further. Confession is that part of our soul that recognizes that we're being truthful, but understands my sinful nature in doing it. See, confession is that part of Jonah that cries out that says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Because that is Jonah. He has clung to the worthless idol of himself. He has followed his own desires and his own comforts. And he has forfeited the grace that could have been his. See, Jonah's not talking about the sailors. The sailors gave their lives to the Lord. They sacrificed, made vows. Their lives are different. Jonah's talking about himself. He has forfeited the grace because he has clung to what he wanted he ran from the lord jonah recognizes that his life is sinful and that it is ebbing away and that he is drowning in the depths see confession is that part of our prayer life that says god not only am i going to tell you what you already know but in the middle of it i recognize that at the very core of it it is totally and utterly sinful confession is that part of us that comes before god and says i'm willing and desperate for you to break me. Because God, I know that running, as we've talked about, is not just running. Running is disobedience. And so sometimes our confession comes in these moments of sort of blanketed kind of, God, I am sorry. But really what I see in Jonah is being specific and naming our disobedience and saying, God, I have blown it and you are perfect and I am not and I confess I confess the core that I am, that I am faithless and sin, sinful. And here are the categories. Because confession is not what God needs to hear, it's what our heart needs to do. It's the step in making ourselves right and broken before the Lord because we cannot be healed until we are broken. Jonah's prayer is riddled with honesty and it's riddled with confession. That part that just says, this is my broken life. It's hard to do. I mean, it's easy to do in blanket ways, but when you want to get real specific, it's really hard to do. But it's part of a surrendered life. That if we're going to surrender everything, it's not about just not running in it some more. It's about throwing our hands up and saying, God, I lay it all down. Every single part of it, out of my control. I confess it and I lay it down. Look what else we see in Jonah's prayer. We see an attitude of thankfulness throughout his entire prayer. And not just that thankfulness like, God, thank you for this or thank you for that, but that sort of encompassing thankfulness that that pours through and seeps through every single word. From the depths of the grave, I called for your help and you listened to my cry. Your waves and breakers swept over me and I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again. The engulfing waters threatened me, seaweed wrapped around my head, but you brought my life up from the pit. You know what I find so powerful about what Jonah is thankful for? It's because it's really interesting. Jonah is not thankful that God had rescued him from the fish. 
because God had not rescued him from the fish. Jonah was still in the middle of the fish, in the middle of the fish's belly. Jonah was not grateful that God was going to rescue him from the fish because Jonah had no idea that that's what God was going to do. Jonah is crying out from the middle of his desperate circumstance, and he is grateful and thankful. Now, you and I are grateful and thankful to the Lord when we've come to the other side of whatever that calamity, catastrophe, or difficult situation is. When we've made it all the way over here, we say, God, I am so grateful for what you've done and who you are. Look at what you brought me through. But Jonah, you know what he's thankful for? He's not thankful that God's going to rescue him, that God had rescued him. He's grateful that God has turned his rebellious heart around. That's what Jonah's thankful for. His heart was rebellious. And God turned it around and Jonah is grateful for the salvation that comes from seeing God again. Jonah didn't know he was going to be physically safe. Jonah probably thought he was going to die in the belly of that thing. You know, you and I, in the middle of our circumstances, are oftentimes so ungrateful. We are waiting for God to redeem it and put us over here so that we can talk about the wonders and grandeurs of the God that rescued in the middle of our financial distress or relationship distress, that we can stand on the other side and say, God, thank you. But what about lives in the middle of a difficult, chaos, awful circumstances? We'll look at God and say, God, I am thankful that you are turning my rebellious nature around. And if I die, if I never make it out, if I perish, if my life never gets better, God, I am grateful because you've saved me. You see what a surrendered heart looks like? A surrendered heart doesn't wait for the gratefulness of God once we've seen the other side. A surrendered heart says, God, I'm grateful that in the middle of this place, you have rescued me. And if I never get out, I don't care because you've turned my rebellious heart into dancing. I mean, this is the miracle of the book of Jonah. We're gonna see another huge miracle next week. But the real miracle of the book of Jonah is that Jonah's rebellious heart was turned back around and he is grateful for the salvation of the Lord and he has no idea what's coming. See, our prayer of a surrendered heart is is riddled with honesty. It's steeped in confession and it's got a deep gratitude for the moment that it's in. For the moment that it's in. What moment are you in? Maybe life is awful right now. Maybe you are desperate. Maybe things just aren't going well. A surrendered heart finds a moment in there just to say, God, give me something to be thankful for. You've turned my rebellious heart around. And I'm grateful that you've saved me because things could be a whole lot worse. I could have no promise of eternal life or life in you. Jonah has his rebellious heart turned around. The last thing that we see in Jonah's prayer that I think is really significant, it comes out of verse 9. And it's really this, that Jonah is prepared for action. He's prepared to move. Listen to verse, let's say verse um, 9. But with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good for salvation <clears throat> comes from the Lord. A lot of times our prayers are are somewhat hollow because though we mean them with deep kind of our deep soul that deep kind of seated part of our life that says God I mean this with everything that I am I'm I'm always not really ready 
to be action-oriented about it. So we say, God, I will go where you say go. I will do what you say do. God, I will lay my life down. And then when God says to do it, we're not quite ready to do it. We're willing to pray about it. Make sure that was really the voice of God. But very seldom are we ready really for action. I mean, we've talked about surrender and leaving our control behind and trusting Jesus for four weeks now. And I would venture to say that very few of us are really willing to do it. To follow the Lord to the ends of the earth, to China, to change jobs, to, to share a gospel with our neighbor. Whatever that thing that God is calling you to, most of us leave here going, man, those, that's good. But, but I don't know. See, Jonah, as a prophet of God, had come back to the place where he said, listen, God, what I have vowed as a prophet, obedience at all cost, I will make good. I will sacrifice and he's not talking about the physical sacrifice that would come from making a sacrifice to God. He's talking about his life. That I will sacrifice me, my will, my control for you. That I will make good on what I have promised you. Now Jonah's not pleading with God saying that if you release me, I'll do this. He's just simply saying, God, thank you for giving me a chance to see you again. I'm ready to move. We can walk into church every Sunday and you can hear me preach week in and week out and you can open the word and you can say, man, good stuff. God, you're really teaching me something. And I'm willing to surrender. But until we're willing to move, they're just words. You see, a surrendered heart is, is and prayer is riddled in honesty and confession and in gratitude for where I am and has a heart that says, I will go. I will do. I will follow. From disobedience to obedience. This morning, as we prepare to share in God's meal and communion together, as we prepare to be a part of what God has invited us to, a demonstration that Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life, that we have opportunity to approach God because of the person of Christ. I think it's only right that we would prepare our hearts in a similar fashion that Jonah did. And I'm going to invite us this morning as we prepare, and we invite the worship team to come back up as we prepare for worship, to walk through this prayer with Jonah that I'll guide us through, through these moments of honesty and confession, these moments of gratefulness and a heart that's oriented for action as we prepare to meet with Jesus. Let's pray together and spend some time this morning preparing our hearts.